Hey everyone, and welcome to the final episodes for Avatar the Podcasts. Did I scare you yet? Coverage of the Avatar The Last Airbenders main series. I, I got you. I got you going there for a minute. I saw it. <laughs> we got there in the end. We got there in the end. How, how many people listening thought that we were that was it. covering like the final episode of, of book three? We're like, wait, what happened to all the others? I, I started <laughs> I started the sentence and Acorn's looking at me like, did you not tell me something? Is there something you want to yeah. say right now? Uh, no, it's called a fake out. It's called grabbing your attention. It's called being theatrical. It's entertainment. You're welcome. That's right. This is book three, episode 16, The Southern Raiders, or as we like to call it, Katara and Zuko's Vengeful Adventure. That's right. And as always, before we jump into the episode, let's read a couple of five-star reviews that hit over on the Apple Podcasts page. Yeah. Our first one comes from Benny Lombardi, who writes 83.7 out of five. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a really good rating. That's Thank you, rate. Benny. Thanks. <laughs> also, hello, Acorn Band and Booster Greg. My name is Benny, and I have been listening ever since Zuko Alone. My favorite episode was probably Sokka's Master. Keep making great podcasts. Well, thanks, Benny. We'll do our best. We'll, we'll, you know what we'll do? We'll make a couple of mediocre ones, and then we'll come back with one even better just for you, <laughs> Benny. That's really nice. Thank you. I think Sokka's Master might be up there for one of my favorite episodes as well. I'm pretty sure it's going to make your top five in our recap. Most likely is. Yes, yes. And for anyone that doesn't know, you know we should have put this part in the beginning, but whatever, put it in the reviews. We do plan on doing two recap episodes after the book three coverage. We'll do our normal book three recap and talk about, you know, our MVP for the season and all that good stuff. And then we'll do a series recap, which is going to be so much mm -hmm. fun. I am so looking forward to that one, especially going through just having watched over the past year, Avatar, The Last Airbender, and now being able to rewatch it and really kind of see, did things stack up like we thought they would? I don't know. We'll find out in that episode. But next up, we have a five-star review from Aurora. Smiley face, a shining heart emoji. That's the username. Can't and I, forget the shinies. You can't, you can't. And I love it. Some people spend hours looking for shinies. That's right. I'm talking about shiny Pokemon. So we can't get rid of the shinies. Anyways, Aurora <laughs> writes, best podcast ever with two, I call them snuggly face emojis. They're heart face emojis. Aw, that's all, a good name for they're them. They're snuggly. Anyways, they write, Hey, Acorn Bandit and Booster Greg. I wanted to write in as a Spotify listener to say that you guys have made me so happy. I love Fridays so much because y'all's podcast. I enjoy listening and learning new facts about the show. The work you guys put into the show seems so hard, but it's extremely worth it for your listeners. My top five characters are, from numbers five to one, May, Azula, Aang, Zuko, and drum roll, please. There's a little <laughs> drum emotes on I there. I love that. Emojis. Appa! I feel like we don't get a lot of number one appas, and I love when we see them. We him. don't. Yeah, yeah. Well deserved. Well deserved indeed. Extremely excited for you guys to go over the comics. Thank you for y'all's outstanding job. Smiley face. Oh, thank you, Aurora. Thank you. Also, thanks for coming over from Spotify. All the way over from Spotify land. I do want to say I feel awkward when I say y'alls. So if if you feel awkward on my behalf, that's why I'm like y'alls. <laughs> this is what happens from when someone from Boston tries to put a little southern twang in there in their speech. I lived in Florida my whole life. Yeah. And I still feel awkward saying y'all. Yeah. I wish I was I had that natural y'all, but I don't. I'm so sorry, Aurora, but thank you again. 
The next review comes from at love 867, unless you meant Avatar the Love. The Love. 867. Avatar <laughs> the Love. No, that's terrible. I felt weird. Sorry. <laughs> Who writes epic, period. I was introduced to Avatar in 2009, and since then, I religiously rewatch it nearly every six months. The depth and insight you two give to your audience is amazing, heartwarming, and above all else, hilarious. I'm a letter carrier and I'm constantly looking for audiobooks and podcasts to listen to. As of today, I have listened to all of your episodes and caught up in only nine days. <laughs> Exploding head emoji. What? That's, wow. That's, that's too much, Greg, in nine days. That's, that's a lot that's of a Greg lot. in your ears. That's a lot. Holy, holy moly. Are you sure your head hasn't actually exploded in real it, life? It might have. That's a side effect. Uh, probably have put a <laughs> disclaimer on episode one, but now it's here. They go on to say, I did buy an op pin and I'm waiting for it currently. When it arrives, he will be pinned to my mailbag and everyone will oh! receive op mail daily. Ah, I love that. Keep up the awesome work. Thanks for everything. Your friendly neighborhood mailman, Andrew. Oh my God. I also, that makes me so happy. I love Andrew's sign off. Your friendly neighborhood mailman because it's yes. very Spider-Man-y and I appreciate that. I can't believe that Andrew listened to all of our episodes in nine days. I'm shocked. That's amazing. Floored. That's ang-mazing. Sorry, everyone. I that let you down. That's ang-mazing. Yep. Yep. Uh, thank you so much. And hopefully your Oppopin got to you by now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would hope so. I'm, I'm like glaring at acorn, right? And she's like, yeah, I'm on top of it. It should have arrived. It should have it arrived. Was a while ago. So I hope you're having, actually, we both hope that you're having wonderful Appa adventures delivering mail. Aww. Yeah, that's so cute. All right. The last one, we're going to do four today because we have a bunch more to kind of uh, read out and everyone's been leaving such wonderful ones. We want to make sure that we get to as many as we can before the comics start. So we're going to do four today. This one comes from anime fan one, two, three, one, two, three. And they write the best, which is surrounded by sparkle emojis. Would you call that? Yes. Some call yes. them now. It's the, I would say sparkle. I, I like that emoji a lot. Like sparkles. Sparkles or little fireworks or stars. They're great. They're great regardless. They write, thank you so much. You guys put so much effort into this. My favorite part is when you say, who played the extra characters, Greg? That's my favorite part too. Thanks. <laughs> my opinion is biased though. My favorite characters are Iroh, Zuko, Toph, and the Cabbage Merchant. I love when also Ooh. the Cabbage Merchant gets up in the top fives. And my least favorite part is when they tell you Mako passed. Aww. It made me cry for days and I did not even know him. Frowny face. Uh, I call that hysterically crying face. I call it sob face. That's what sob it's really emoji. called. But where's the flare and sob? <laughs> Gotta be hysterical about Gotta it. Gotta be hysterical about it. And I wanted to tell you guys that I'm going to audition for some parts of Nickelodeon for voice <gasps> acting. And I'm so excited. And that's... Uh, oh my gosh. And extremely excited. I'm going to be auditioning for roles in Nickelodeon emoji. Yep. That's Accurate. what that is, right? right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, good luck. That's amazing. Good luck. Let us know how it turned out. You can write to us. Remember at always at avatarthepodcast at gmail.com. That's my voice acting skills, by the way. I just go up into this octave and I talk like this now. <laughs> uh, anime fan, thank you so much for writing in. Good luck on that audition. Or I should say future auditions since this was written about 20 or so days ago as of recording. So... Hopefully that went well and we wish you the best of luck. And thank you for listening. Everyone, again, if you want your five-star written review read right here on the show, all you have to do is go over to Apple Podcasts, leave that five-star review, and then write something. Why, Acorn? <laughs> 
Because as Greg says, if it's not written, we can't read it. That's right. That's how writing works is what I've learned this year. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Let's, we got a whole episode oh to go through. It's enough let's comedy. It. Nothing but seriousness from here on out. Until next week. Until next week. Book three, episode 16, The Southern Raiders, was written by Elizabeth Welch Ehaz and was directed by Joaquin Dos Santos. We begin our episode with Team Avatar sleeping soundly at the Western Air Temple. Aang is the first to wake up when a bomb launches towards the group. Aang is able to deflect the attack and rushes towards the edge where several war balloons continue the assault. Aang uses airbending to close the metal doors in their chamber, which mostly protects them. The vibrations of the attack, however, cause part of the ceiling to collapse and Zuko knocks Katara out of the way of the falling debris. Instead of thanking the prince, Katara is less than grateful for the assist and lashes out at Zuko, who remains calm and sarcastically accepts her. I'm going to call it a non-thanks. <laughs> a couple notes of trivia right off the bat right here. Zuko is the second person to push Katara out of the way of falling rocks. Do you know who the first person was? Ooh, who? It's her actual boyfriend, Aang, in the Cave of Two Lovers. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Scandalous. I like that little like tease almost for the Zutara shippers where it's like, okay, mm -hmm. these are her heroes. We have wonderful Aang, who she's meant to be with forever and ever and ever. And then we have crawling in my skin, Lincoln Park, Zuko. <laughs> I love that that's stuck for you. It's forever, especially in this episode. And we'll get into it. But, uh, oh, man. Yeah. This is also the third time that the Western Air Temple is attacked by the Fire Nation. Oh, no. The first time was when Sozin launched an assault on the Air Temple 100 years earlier. Uh, and the second one was when the Combustion Man attacked. That's technically Fire Nation. So... So far, I feel like the Western Air Temple has held up pretty well against three attacks. It has. It's also probably the unluckiest of air temples. Yeah, for sure. Toph earthbends an exit for the group. And while Aang struggles to get Appa to go inside the newly made tunnel, Zuko steps up and instructs everyone to leave and that he will hold them off. I think this is a family visit, he says as he runs towards the assault. Aang calls after his friend, but it's too late. Sokka approaches Aang and yells that they need to get out of the chamber. Really quickly, little note here, Toph makes a tunnel in the wall of a beautifully mm. painted mural from the Western yeah, Air Temple. Yeah, I noticed that. And says nothing. Yep. The mechanist drills in tiny little holes like that are pipe-filled, mainly keeps the wall intact, and he gets a mouthful from the Avatar. I know. Yeah. Now we can say that it's because they needed to get out of there. So it's preserving their own life versus when your preserving... life is threatened. Yeah. But when like, the Fire Nation's attacking. Not even a flinch. So I think the Avatar plays favorites. It could show growth too. He's made sure. his piece sure, yeah. about the air temples yeah. and is just, you know, taking it in stride. Yeah, that's true. He also might believe that it's going to get blown up anyways because they're getting attacked. You know, I can't really. Be. Yeah, yeah. There's already been a couple hits to the foundation. So yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, Zuko rushes into battle and blasts a war balloon, which doesn't really do much damage. A fourth war balloon ascends from the clouds below to reveal Azula leading the forces. What are you doing here? Zuko asks his sister. You mean it's not obvious yet? Azula smiles at her brother. I'm about to celebrate becoming an only child. Uh, anyone wondering? Yes, I have given up the boomy Azula impression. It's uh, retired <laughs> for now. As she finishes her sentence, she unleashes a large blast at Zuko, who manages to dodge the attack, but is knocked back. Oh, man. Yeah. So 
I want to talk about this moment because Azula has this like manic joy, this manic energy about her when she announces that she's about to celebrate becoming an only child. And I think, and it's also backed up by the creators, that this shows she's beginning to release her usual self-control. And it's the indicator of her oncoming breakdown. I know Brian in the commentary for this specific episode said, we planned this as the beginning of her unraveling and it really comes through. There's also a trope for this called the villainous breakdown or the tendency for relatively calm and composed villains to lose their cool over the course of the story. There are many examples of this and Azula is just one of those many. Yeah, for sure. I dislike that trope so much because when my villains are cool, calm and collected, I like them that way. I don't want them to become the Joker. I don't want Lex Luthor to become (laughs) the Joker. Yep. I think they do it with class and style with Azula. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see if, again, we have only a handful of episodes for me to change my mind about Azula. So right now, unchanged. But I do like this little like thread that's exposed now from Azula. And she is a lot more manic. She's a lot more, uh, or not a lot. She's a bit more manic, a bit more chaotic, more Mm -hmm. that traditional super villainy, which is kind of cool. It's kind of refreshing for her. Zuko notices that the ground is becoming less stable with each fire blast attack, so he must move quickly. He runs up a falling column and tries to land on one of the war balloons, but he can't manage to get a grip. Azula emotionlessly watches as her brother falls into the clouds below. I won't lie. I did have a moment of worry here because I remembered that Appa is not flying around where he could catch Zuko. And I was like, wait, oh no, Zuko's done for. Yeah. Uh, that was one of the things I was like, is he? He doesn't know how to do the jet propulsion firebending yet. So, yeah. Uh oh. Well, back with Team Avatar, Appa refuses to go into the tunnel that Toph had created. Katara notes that there's no way they can fly out of here, but Aang insists that they have to find a way. Sokka announces that they need to split up, and Katara immediately argues against it. She won't let the Fire Nation split up their family again. Akoda assures his upset daughter that it'll be okay and the split is not forever. Katara hesitates but hugs her father and runs back to Aang and Appa. Sokka gives a hug to his father as well and takes Suki by the hand and jumps on Appa. Toph tells the group that she can clear a path through the rubble, but Suki is worried as there's a lot of fire in that direction. But Aang assures her that it'll be okay and they'll make it through. I want to make a really something I just thought was funny. I shouldn't think this mm-hmm. funny. It's inappropriate laughter. And it just like gets me every time I watch it. He's like, we have to split up. Father, I can't take you. Girlfriend, come with me. <laughs> <laughs> like he reaches past Dakota, grabs yeah. Suki's arm. And it's like, you can come though. <laughs> I didn't notice that, but you're right. That's hilarious. <laughs> Every time. Oh, God. I laugh. I have to pause it every time. I laugh for a good two or three minutes. And I'm like, that's just weird animation choice, is what that is, but it's fun. It's also very in line with teenage behavior. Yeah. I would kind of expect that. For like, sure. you know, dad, you'll you'll be fine. Yeah. Girlfriend, come with me. You're Gotta coming with me. And it's such a slow, weird, <laughs> like, grab your hand. All right. And then they run. Uh-huh. Appa launches past the war balloons. As Toph bends Earth in front of the air bison as a makeshift shield. As they fly past Azula, the princess launches a few blue fire blasts at the escaped attempt, but the shield manages to hold and the gang rushes past the Fire Nation's forces. Azula watches with a smirk as a war balloon surfaces from the clouds below behind her, revealing Zuko to be alive and well and ready to face off against his sister yet again. Phew. That's like, I call it the Indiana Jones trope 
where it's just like he falls oh, yep. and he lands on something and then he just like ascends the complete like awesome fighter that he is. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Heroic music swells in the background. Yeah. This moment right here though, fellow listeners, fellow avatar lovers, is the last time that a majority of the main characters will encounter Azula during Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh, man. After this, there's something that happens in the search. I won't say it, but like, that's that. So, very interesting. Oh, feels so final. I know. And it's like, when you're watching it, you don't realize it's happening. And then you're kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, geez. Because we have really the Ember Island players after this and then the finale. The four-part finale. I know. Oh, my God. It's like with every week, with every recording, it really hits me harder and harder how close we are to the end of not only book three, but the end of Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah. Yes, we have comics to do. Yes, there are the Kyoshi novels, but we're so close to the end of the core animated content. It's crazy. I know. I know. I'm in disbelief. We're going to record the last episode of the finale and I'm not still not going to believe it. It's going to hit me like a week later. When we're doing the, the recap. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like that's the when it's going to be. Recap. Well, that's what yep. happens with every season though, with every book that we cover. Mm-hmm. For me personally, when we do the finale, it doesn't feel like the finale until we do the recap. Yeah. So, oh man, I'm going to be emotional and feel like, okay, anyways, Zuko and Azula face off. Zuko makes the first move as he jumps towards Azula who sends columns of fire at him, which he responds to with more blasts. The two attack each other several times. Azula and Zuko are evenly matched until they both hit each other with a, I'm going to call it a fire-packed super punch. Ooh, I like it. Which launches them both off of the airship. Zuko is caught by Katara, who is on Appa and Team Avatar, so they swoop back in to save him. But Azula is left falling. She's not going to make it, Zuko says with worry in his tone as he watches his sister flailing through the air. After a few seconds, though, Azula regains her form and uses firebending to propel herself to the nearby cliffs and uses her headdress as a rock pick. Zuko is not surprised by this feat as Team Avatar flies off. You can say one thing about Azula. She's very resourceful and determined. She's great on her feet. She's even better off her feet, falling down (laughs) cliffs, flying through the air. Amazing. (laughs) Okay. It's a small detail, but I like the fact that they used a very iconic skydiving form yeah where if you just relax your arms and legs go up in the air and you're just kind of this falling upside down beetle yeah yeah. (laughs) beetle like position and it seemed like she wasn't very concerned she just let herself fall yeah and it it looks more i don't know like helpless too because your arms and legs Mm -hmm. are like flinging all around so it kind of like had this almost victim-like quality to it and that's why i think zuko was like oh man she's gonna die and then, of course, she doesn't because she's Azula. And she's Azula. Azula never lies, but often she flies. <laughs> <laughs> You'll find that on a teaser next week, listeners. The team camps out near an empty beach where Aang notes about how it just feels like old times again. Zuko cracks a joke about how he could chase Aang around and try to capture him if they really want it to feel like old times. Everyone laughs at this joke except Katara. Sokka proposes a toast to Zuko for saving them, and everyone cheers, again, except Katara. Zuko humbly states that he does not deserve this treatment, to which Katara quickly agrees, and then angrily storms off. What's with her? Sokka asks, to which Zuko says that he wishes he knew and follows her. What's with him? Sokka asks the group. I love Sokka in this episode. (laughs) Sokka's so good. I do too. Classic. (laughs) Zuko approaches Katara and asks what her reasons are for her cold reception towards him. Katara reminds the prince that while the whole group trusts him, she was the first to do so. 
and he turned around and betrayed her almost immediately in Ba Sing Se. Suzuko takes a breath and asks how he can make this up to Katara. You really want to know? Hmm, maybe you could reconquer Ba Sing Se in the name of the Earth King. Or, I know, you could bring my mother back. Katara angrily storms away, slightly hitting Zuko's shoulder as she passes. Talk about impossible tasks. You can undo this thing that you're responsible for, or something that happened when you were a child that you have no real connection to. Your pick. That was like, I don't know. I understand that Katara is very emotional in this episode, but there's some things that just like get under my skin that she says. And this is one of them. Really? Oh my gosh, not me. To me, this is a very anger-fueled, yes, albeit petty comment, but it's really just her anger fueling these impossible tasks that she's giving him because she just feels out of control too. She wasn't able to stop the siege on Ba Sing Se. She wasn't able to stop her mother from getting hurt that day. Like so much of what she's angry about are things that are out of her control. So I can see where she would lash out and just say like, yeah, if you really want to help, I'm super mad at you. Just undo these crazy big things in my life. Then I'll forgive you. I mean, it's emotions and everyone processes emotions differently for sure. And I see the writing in it and I see why they chose to do this. But it's just like he wasn't responsible for what happened to her mother. So like, why is she linking that in her anger, which is like a rational way to think about it in a rational train of thought that she doesn't have any control Mm -hmm. over. So I completely understand that. It's just a little pet peeve of mine. That's all. (laughs) I know. Also, Zuko is still the image of the Fire Nation for her. Yeah, that's true. That's true as well. The face of the Fire Nation. It makes sense with the story. It's just for me. Like, I don't know. It irks Mm -hmm. me a little bit. Anyways, not as much as what happens a little bit later, but we'll get to that. Unsure of what to do next, Zuko decides to go talk to Sokka. As the prince approaches Sokka's tent, he accidentally bumps into Suki, who embarrassingly declares, oops, wrong tent. Zuko asked the warrior of Kyoshi if she needed to talk to Sokka as well, but Suki slyly replies, nope, not me, and slinks away back to her tent. She does this like really funny animation where you're like, ah, no, and just, <laughs> she's gone. She like slides off almost. Yeah. Zuko shrugs and enters Sokka's tent. Well, hello, Sokka says, laying down in a seductive pose surrounded by candles and holding a rose in his mouth. <laughs> Once he realizes that the person in his tent is Zuko and not Suki, Sokka quickly chokes down the flower and plays the whole thing off. <laughs> Fun little note, the sound you hear when he sucks in the flower into his mouth is actually a drill. They recorded a drill. Yes. It's so funny. I heard that in the commentary and had to play it again. And yep. sure enough, it does sound like a power drill. It. Yeah. Also, Brian noted that there's something magical that happens between Jack's performance and Yu Jae Myung, yeah. one of the Korean animation directors. Because when the two of them come together, the voice in the animation, that's Sokka in his most purest state. And I agree. This is like peak Sokka. Yeah, for sure. In the uh, in the commentary as well, they had their voice acting director, Andrea Romano, who is like mm-hmm. a queen in the voice acting world, as far as I'm concerned. For me personally, she casts a lot of the DC animated movies. She doesn't do it anymore. I think she uh, left that role. But a lot of the ones that I really love, she was responsible for. So she was offering quite a bit of insight onto this scene. And she said that she did like several takes of Jack DeSena just saying hello and just picked like the one that (laughs) she had in her head the most. But like they were there for a while. And Dante Bosco was on that commentary as well. And he was like, oh, yeah, I think I remember Jack saying he was in there forever. So that was kind of funny. Yeah, I think she even said it was over 20 days. Yeah, it's like ridiculous. Crazy. Yeah. Zuko tells Sokka that Katara hates him. And even though he can't explain it, 
he cares about what Katara thinks of him. It's because they're baiting the Zutara shippers right now. Mm-hmm. That's why Zuko, that's why it's going on. Anyways, Sokka assures his friend that Katara doesn't hate anybody except for some people in the Fire Nation, but not people who are good that used to be bad, just Fire Nation people who are still bad, who've <laughs> probably never been good and won't ever be. Zuko stops Sokka's rambling and tells him that he wants to know more about what happened to their mother, Kaya. So real quick, yes. do you think that Zuko was truly clueless as to what was going on with Suki or is he just choosing to ignore it and getting straight to the point with Sokka? We had actually someone write in at the beginning, I feel like maybe book two or book one coverage that was maybe theorizing that Zuko just doesn't pick up on social cues and maybe he might be like slightly autistic in that manner, potentially. That's what I don't remember who it was, but. Yeah, I was leaning towards him not picking it up either. Yeah. Not for any specific reason, but just because he's Zuko and he's just very kind of like with Azula at the party on Ember Island where she just like missed the social cues and didn't know how to flirt and was being very awkward. That's right. I think in a similar way, Zuko probably acts like that when it comes to these kinds of situations, not picking up on flirting and this and that. And it just kind of like the reason he's with May is because she tends to speak his language the way that he can pick up on. Yeah. That's my personal theory. Yeah. I don't think he picked up on it either, but I think there's this weird thing that happens when a villain joins the heroes throughout every piece of fiction that I've ever watched, listened to, I've ever consumed, where all of a sudden they're kind of an idiot in some senses. And it's because we've never seen them in that scenario before. So we don't know how they would react. Like Mm. Vegeta and Dragon Ball is kind of like that when he joins the team. And all of a sudden he's like, he's just like kind of dumb and like he's brilliant. He's awesome. He's my favorite character. But he like there's some aspects he's just kind of like dumb, like being a father. He's never had to be a father before. So he's Mm. kind of useless at it. Yeah. It's the same thing here where Zuko is brilliant. He's had a girlfriend. He's done all these things, but it was before he joined Team Avatar. So now he's kind of trying to find his way, trying to go through things. It's possible that maybe he notices it, but doesn't know how to approach it. So he just kind of leaves it. But the animation... <laughs> Let's just move past this. Yeah, yeah. he's like, yeah, let's just move past. But the animation would lead me to believe that your theory is right, that he just like doesn't acknowledge it and doesn't realize it. And maybe it's because he's so focused because he does get laser focused like that and puts on the blinders. Mm-hmm. So he was like, oh, I upset Katara. Let me go talk to Sokka. And he's just like, tunnel vision on Sokka right now. So anything that happens around yeah. him is like, oh, like I need to talk to Sokka about something. Clearly you need to talk about Sokka or something. Like why else would he be here in the middle of the night? And it's like, oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she must have a, a reason yeah. to talk with him. Yeah, the two warriors just hanging out, talking strats. Yeah, talking shop. Talking shop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sharpening the, the old blades. Okay, let's move on before I make any innuendos. Sokka is taken aback and asks why Zuko would want to know information about his mother's death. Zuko tells Sokka that he believes that Katara has connected her anger of that moment to the anger of Zuko's betrayal back at Ba Sing Se. Sokka begins the story by telling Zuko that it's not a day that he likes to remember. Sokka remembers the black snow that fell that day, and he tells Zuko about the Fire Nation attack on their village six years prior. Katara was about eight or nine years old, just for anyone who wants to kind of give it like a time frame there. Mm -hmm. They were badly outnumbered, but managed to drive off the invading forces. Once the whole thing was over, they discovered that their mother had been killed. Zuko asks Sokka if he can identify any specific details about the soldiers who raided their village and learns that the main ship's flags had sea ravens on them. Zuko immediately recognizes this as the symbol of the Southern Raiders and thanks Sokka, who promptly pushes him out of the tent impatiently. 
Sokka then peeks his head outside and whispers for Suki, only to find that Zuko has probably taken like three <laughs> steps from the tent. And Sokka just kind of casually whispers and disappears back into his humble abode. <laughs> Too impatient. Yeah. So I got to uh, breeze past it a little bit because we're going to see this invasion two more times, essentially. Mm-hmm. But there's a couple notes here. There's a character that we haven't met yet who we will meet in the North and South trilogy from the comics. And his name is Gilak. If you think my pronunciation of names was terrible before, wait until they're not telling me it on an animated series. Until we get to the comics and we have to figure it out. I know. I think it's Gilak. Gilak. Personally. Yeah, that sounds that sounds more correct than mine, what I said. So we see this character named Gilak. He looks a little younger, so his hair is a little darker and his beard is a little shorter than what we're going to see. But I'm assuming he's a fan favorite because the wiki pointed him out immediately. Mm. That's really cool. And I don't want to know any more about him until we get to the comics. Yep. When Katara is seen as a child in these flashbacks, her winter coat with the crescent moon actually kind of resembles the winter coat worn by Master Paku. Yeah, I like that. Interesting, interesting. I also like to think that it's maybe a remnant of their prior culture because as waterbenders are taken out of the Southern Water Tribe, we know that that time period really just kind of annihilates the Southern Tribe's culture. So I like to think that the coat that she's wearing is maybe like a remnant of that time period before when they were closer to their sister tribe and Mm. they were more identifiable as a culture because when we first meet Katara and Sokka at the beginning of book one, they're wearing clothes that are just very nondescript, very simple furs and coats, no like insignia or symbols on them at all. But the style of this time does seem a little different. See, my headcanon was that um, it was something that Grand Grand brought with her from her past life. Ooh, yeah. That's kind of where my head went at where she's like, oh, like whether she made it with that like influence and then as she had been living longer and longer in the southern water tribe she kind of stopped putting that ornate detail onto it or maybe that katara just kind of outgrew it so grand grand always wanted to make these kind of clothes for her but it's like it's much like having the dinosaur sweater when you're a child and then you Mm -hmm. like you're in school for three additional months and all the kids are like you're wearing that you kid and maybe it's like some teasing and all of a sudden she doesn't want to wear the crescent moon sweater that grand grand made her yeah i wonder it could be a couple different yeah it could be a couple different reasons yeah but it's just kind of interesting this is actually the only episode where kaya's name is mentioned in the main series and Mm -hmm. akoda is the only person to actually say her name out loud so I'm going to refer to her a lot as Kaya, just so I'm not saying she, Katara and Sokka's mom, mother, the amazing sacrificial mother. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just going to say Kaya because it's just easier. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it is canon. She is named Kaya. Yeah, that's true. At the beginning of the podcast, we did talk about the whole like musical name situation mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. Kaya, Kana and Katara. That's right. How they used to be not tied to the people that they eventually are. So yes, it is canon, but I do think it's appropriate and kind of poetic for Kaya's husband to be the only person who says her name out loud. Yeah, I agree. The next morning, Katara leaves her tent only to find a very tired Zuko sitting on a rock waiting for her. Katara notes how terrible Zuko looks and he tells the waterbending master that he has been waiting outside for her all night. It's kind of creepy, but that's just me. Zuko then tells her that he knows who killed Kaya and he is going to help her find him. Katara is shocked at the statement and immediately walks up to Aang and Appa, stating that she needs to borrow the air bison. When Aang jokingly asks if it's her turn to take a field trip with Zuko, Katara coldly replies, yes, it is. Everyone except Toph is going to take a field trip with Zuko. (laughs) Yep. 
Oh, Toph getting left out again. It's kind of funny because Toph was the only one that kind of trusted him and like stood yeah. up for him. So everyone had to kind of have... The, yeah. So everyone had to have their own little adventure with Zuko in order to like gain that trust from him. Yeah. Which is... Very true. Kind of manipulative of Zuko. He's not doing it on purpose, I know though. he's not. I know. He's a good guy <laughs> you're now. Like, you're like super sus this episode. <laughs> I don't know what it is today. <laughs> I also think that Katara immediately losing her father at the Western Air Temple kind of fueled this reaction and this response because she is even more reminded of the fact that she has lost her mother and yeah. then she loses her father. And then it's like, okay, I have to do something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was kind of wondering. I was like, why is she all of a sudden now just like super fired up? And it's, yeah, she's in a very emotional state right now. Like she's losing her family Mm -hmm. again, as far as she's concerned. Yep. Aang asks for more information and Katara doesn't hide the fact that they're going to find the man that killed Kaya. Um, And what exactly will that accomplish? Aang asks and Katara immediately gets upset and coldly states that she knew he wouldn't understand. Except Aang does understand and... Side note, this is also where I get a little fired up about Katara over here. Okay. Because he felt kind of the same way when the sandbenders took Appa. Or I don't know, when his entire people got wiped off the (laughs) map by the Fire Nation. Not just the mothers, Mm -hmm. not just the everyone. (sighs) Anyways, she needs this Aang, Zuko tells the Avatar. This is about closure and justice. Aang disagrees and states that he thinks it's about getting revenge. Katara angrily yells that maybe it is about revenge and revenge is what she needs and what this man deserves. When Aang makes a comparison to Jet, Katara dismisses the notion as Jet was willing to hurt innocent people and this monster is far from innocent. Sokka chimes in by reminding his sister that Kaya was his mother too and he thinks Aang is right on this one. Katara shoves the words back in her brother's face by replying, then you didn't love her the way I did and turns her back on her brother. Okay. Okay. I agree. Katara is out of line. Mm -hmm. She's saying very hurtful things, Mm -hmm. not being rational. As far as the whole thing where, yes, Aang lost his people and yes, he lost Appa. He also has 12 years of meditation and mindfulness and monk lifestyle under his belt versus Katara who has not. So she's navigating her emotions in a different way. I'll say that. Well, so I'm not upset that she's lashing out. I'm upset that like she's dismissing Aang's emotions as not equivalent to hers in this moment. And so, yeah, she's not, she's not, she's being emotional. She's not being rational or thinking like she's just speaking at this point, right? Like she's just Mm -hmm. trying to hurt everyone who disagrees with her. That's what she's doing. Because she's hurting so bad. Right. Exactly. And there is no, to quote Full Metal Alchemist, there's no law of equivalent exchange when it comes to emotions, right? Like I could lose my whole family and you could lose like one sister. And it's possible that you are more upset than I am about the loss of family. And that's just us as individuals, how we process and taking that information and stuff like Mm -hmm. that too. So I'm not trying to say that like Aang had it worse, even though he like kind of did in my opinion, but like (laughs) it's just her lashing out. I just got so angry on everyone's behalf for them. I wanted to jump into the TV screen and just like... And play mediator, be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Chill out there, (laughs) little missy. Uh Uh-huh. Calm down. 
say yeah. some things right and now. I think we can all agree too that this is very against Katara's normal character. Yes, yes. She's normally very nurturing, patient, and understanding. For sure. I think that's that's really what's being illustrated here is the fact that she is so lost in her pain and her grief and her anger that she has closed herself off to those character qualities that she normally has. So she is very selfish right now, very self-centered and focused on her pain and putting that above everything else, everything and everyone else. And I think that's really what they're trying to drive at here. And even Mike and Brian did note that they wanted this opportunity to deal with Katara's feelings about the death of her mother because that was the biggest character arc for her. So the Southern Raiders turned out to be one of the darkest and most serious episodes of the show. And I think that's just what they're driving at. Like she needed a really charged response to get her on the road to get to where she eventually winds up at the end of this episode. Yeah, I get it. Again, I get it. So no one be like, well, this no one don't email us at avatarthepodcast at gmail.com. Don't add us at podcast avatar or don't at me at Booster Greg on Twitter. (laughs) I understand why they did this. And I fully agree with them adding it into the story. It makes perfect sense. It doesn't mean I have to like it. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't mean you can't be offended on behalf of your favorite character, Sokka. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Uh, a couple <laughs> cool tidbits in this just scene alone. This is the first time that Zuko actually says Aang and Katara's names out loud. I think it's one of the mm-hmm. few times that he actually says Aang and not the Avatar. I feel like I didn't do any True. research on that, but I know it's at least the first time. Uh, this is also the first time that Jet has been mentioned on screen since Lake Lao Guy. <laughs> Sorry, pal. Aww. Oh, poor Jet. Well, I've never forgotten about Jet. I feel like I talk about Jet mm-hmm. every other episode. Yeah. You know, because you've mentioned that, the fact that Hakoda is the only person who ever says Kaya's name. Yeah. And this is the first time that Zuko has said Aang and Katara. Yeah. It actually kind of reminds me of that weird quality with some video games where... Even though characters have names, oftentimes the characters in the game don't say those names. Yeah. So it's almost like they're not real. And it's a weird position to be in to finally hear someone's name and be like, oh, wow, they do exist with yeah. that name. I feel like that's happened in Avatar, too. There's been a couple of characters. I can't remember who they are right now, but they, they have names. Like when we do our research, it's like, oh, this person's name is this, but they are never named in the episode. So it kind of puts mm-hmm. us in that weird place of, do we say their name? Do we not? And we I, we end up saying their name, of course, because that's their name. But it's just weird that like as a fan of the series or any series, when a character has a name and it's never explicitly said so, you're just kind of like, this is weird. Yeah. It happens a lot in the Final Fantasy games because yeah, oftentimes right. you can rename your main characters. Yeah. You can name Squall, whatever you want. Yep. And so in the game, the characters are always very careful to say him or that guy or the warrior, they never address someone by name and because you can name them anyone. And so it just feels weird when they finally acknowledge like someone's real name, like Titus, for instance, from Final Fantasy X. I was literally just going to say in Final Fantasy X with Titus, because I feel mm-hmm. like after ten they stopped doing that, I think. I've only played yeah, a handful of them. But ten, I remember being like, you can name it whatever you want. And that was the first Final Fantasy game to be mostly fully voice acted. Mm-hmm. At least I played. And they were just they never actually referred to him as Titus. It's just yeah. like him, the hero, you, Meg Ryan. Just <laughs> yeah. kidding. Just kidding. That's <laughs> the that. football star. Yeah. So let's let's rejoin Aang here as he's gonna impart some yes. wisdom. The monks used to say that revenge is like a two-headed rat viper. While you watch your enemy go down, you're being poisoned yourself. Aang tries to impart this wisdom on Zuko and Katara, but Zuko demeans the saying by stating that they're in the real world now and not some air temple preschool. Okay. Okay, pal. 
Oh, ruthless. Aang pleads for Katara to choose forgiveness over revenge. But Zuko states that forgiveness is the same as doing nothing. Aang corrects the young prince and tells him that they are not the same. It's easy to do nothing, but it's hard to forgive. It's not just hard, it's impossible, Katara says as she walks away with Zuko behind her. I'm going to say this right now. I didn't know where I was going to say this, but I'm going to choose right now. We had discussed in previous episodes, I feel like, who would be the influence on who in this kind of situation? Would like Katara be the... Mm -hmm. It might not have been an episode. It might have been an Avatar or an Aangmail. We were talking about like, oh, Katara would be like a really good influence on him. And it turns out that actually Zuko is a really bad influence on Katara. Yeah. He is just like throwing gas on that fire. There's kind of your pun for the episode. We'll get some more later, I'm sure. (laughs) He's just like, yeah, yeah, anger, edginess. Yeah, 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 do it, do it, do it, do it. And that's, I actually find that so interesting because obviously Zuko is a much better person now. He's not a flat out bad guy anymore, but his roots to being a bad guy have not changed. So in this conversation, he's harsher and yep. more pessimistic than the others in the group. Yep. He's supporting Katara's desire to go seek out vengeance and is also painting Aang's pacifism as being childish, unrealistic, not applicable to the situation yep. and kind of like belittling him. So after seeing a lot of the dynamic around Team Avatar being one way, it's cool to see this new influence come in and someone who has this like rocky past interjecting and like supporting plans like this. Yeah. And it's actually like, it's not uncharacteristic of Zuko to dismiss this kind of like these sayings, right? He did it to Iroh all the time. And mm-hmm. I think it's kind of, I actually really like that. It's kind of saying, or at least Breaker kind of telling us that like, no matter how much you grow, there's still some parts of you that are just going to remain the same. So Zuko mm-hmm. is always resistant to being told how to learn a lesson. He has to always learn it the hard way. Ooh, yeah. And it doesn't matter who it's coming from. It can, can be from the avatar himself, or it can be from his uncle who was a decorated war hero. Like everyone loves him. He's the dragon of the West. And he's he's certified just master firebender by the dragons themselves. Mm-hmm. And he still didn't listen. Well, he didn't know that at the time, nope. granted, but like he still didn't listen. Uh, So he just has to learn things the hard way. He has to go through these experiences in order to really gain any wisdom. And he's not great at forming wisdom either, which I think is just kind of funny. It is. I wonder if it's just because he can't understand it. So he's like, that's stupid. It's not that, but (laughs) it's kind of funny to think it. Yeah. Later that night, Katara attempts to sneak out with Appa, but is caught in the act. Aang is upset at first, then tells Katara that he forgives her anyway in hopes of inspiring a new line of thinking in the water bending master. This obviously doesn't work, and Katara tells Aang and Sokka that they can't stop her. Aang isn't planning on stopping the two, as he understands that it's a journey that she needs to take. Katara needs to face the man who killed Kaya, and he only hopes that when she finally does, she forgives the man and does not do anything out of anger or in the name of revenge. Zuko again dismisses these thoughts and is just kind of like, all right, yep, guru, goody, goody, whatever you say, pal, we're out of here. Sayonara. (laughs) And he climbs on Appa. Katara thanks Aang for understanding and takes to the sky with Appa and Zuko. And they're off. Sokka tells Aang that he's pretty wise for a kid. When Aang thanks his friend for the compliment, Sokka immediately asks to borrow Momo. Why do you need to borrow Momo? Oh, Sokka replies. Oh, he's like, they get to borrow Appa. I want to borrow. Let me borrow Momo. Why? I don't know. Everyone else is borrowing things. I want to borrow something. (laughs) 
What do you think would happen if Sokka really did borrow Momo for a week? I want that in canon story in any form right now. <laughs> Even if it's just break you would. emailing me or us emailing us saying this is what happened. I just want it. Yep. I want it. I'll take it in the form of a comic. I don't care. Just give me something. It's so <laughs> only hilarity can ensue. I imagine they both wear crowns. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's what I imagine. In the sky, Zuko goes over the plan with Katara. They need to find the Fire Nation communication tower since all of the Navy's movements are coordinated by Messenger Hawk and every tower has to be up to date on where everyone is deployed. Once there, they need to be stealthy and make sure they're not spotted and then take the information they need. And they do just that. They actually, I really liked this where Katara, like, it's like Me a too. really cool, neat, like, back and forth of like water bending, fire bending, water, and very, like, subtle. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. They make such a good team. Really I love do. it. I love watching members of the gang work together. And also, it's so cool to see Katara being stealthy with yeah. the blue spirit himself. Yeah. And I really like that they don't need to communicate. They just like go off of each other's actions. It's really mm -hmm. neat. They get to a point where there is a single guard in their way, a single soldier in their way, who is like practicing her calligraphy. Or writing up a report or something. I like to think she's practicing her calligraphy. That's what I like to think. Because that's just one of her hobbies. I, well, I mean, this outpost in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Why not? Like, there's probably not much to do. I imagine this late at night, all the reports have to be written. So she's just mm -hmm. trying to keep herself awake in case a report comes in, just practicing calligraphy. That's just my headcanon. I'm sure she's writing a report, but I, I don't know. I just thought it was like nice and innocent. <laughs> so, but Katara uses her water bending to knock over the vial of things that the guard's using for her calligraphy, as far as I'm concerned, mm -hmm. which gives them the window of opportunity as the guard wants to clean her hands immediately. They find a map with the location of the Southern Raiders. And guess what? They're what? on patrol at Whale Tail Island. Oh, boy. I love that they're talking about Whale Tail Island because they could have picked anywhere. But the fact that they're picking mm -hmm. a place that we've only ever heard mentioned in the Lake Laogai episode is like really cool. It's a great callback. Yeah. And we've talked about this, God, countless times now. The fact that in Avatar, there are so many callbacks there's so many building on top of prior concepts, places or people that it makes the world feel more cohesive. And that's exactly what's happening here, too. Yeah, absolutely. So they're off to Whale Tail Island. And on the way, Katara finds herself unable to sleep. Not that she would want to, in any case. Zuko asks her to sleep as she will need all of her strength for what's to come next. Katara refuses and tells the prince to not worry about her strength. She has plenty of it. After all, she is not that helpless little girl any longer. Mm -hmm. And boy, is she driven in this scene. She has yeah. like bags under her eyes, yeah. dark circles. She's like been up all night flying Appa. Mm -hmm. Also, we can really see in the scene clearly her outfit and I found out the dark coat that Katara is wearing is actually a, an item in the game Legends of the Arena and is named Long Coat. That's cool. So That's I thought really that was cool. cool how they incorporated it into the game. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of wish that game was still around. I don't think it is. It was 2008 that game came out. So I haven't looked for it, but I, I would feel not like it's be surprised. Not. I feel like it's not. Yeah. It is at this point that we see the events of the invasion from Katara's point of view. When the invasion began, Katara went to find Kaya while Sokka stayed on the battlefield near his father. She ran into their home to find her mother on the ground in front of a Fire Nation commander. Kaya pleads in front of the commander to let her daughter go. If he does, then Kaya will divulge the information that he's looking for. The commander turns to a young Katara and says, You heard your mother. Get out of here. Kaya instructs her daughter to find Hakoda. And after brief hesitation, Katara does just that but not before looking into the man's eyes, a gaze 
that she will never forget. Katara ran as fast as she could to get the attention of her father. But when they returned to their home, it was too late. When they got there, the man was gone. And so was Kaya. You know, I've wondered about this. Yeah. What happened to Kaya's body? If he killed her right there, did he leave her to be found? Yes. I think when she says she was gone, I think she meant like dead. A nice way to say dead gone. she's okay. dead. That's my take. Yeah. On, we don't know because it's a Nickelodeon short. They're not going to show the body of a dead mother. <laughs> Right. But my interpretation of it wasn't that she was physically gone, but spiritually gone. Yeah. And if that's the case, that actually helps inform Hakoda's character for me because Hakoda and Katara run back to their home and find supposedly her mother dead on the ground. We know that Katara has harbored this anger and vengeful attitude towards the Fire Nation this whole time, but Hakoda didn't. Yes, he's fighting the Fire Nation, but. In comparison, he is very almost at peace with yeah. the loss of his wife. Yeah. But as, yeah, I think it's a difference too of like, this is a traumatic moment for both of them, but mm-hmm. it shapes Katara more because of her age. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Also, someone wrote into us this and I'm apologize. I'm terrible with names on emails. And if you recognize this, uh, you can write into me and yell at me and, and all that. But I find it very pertinent and very interesting that Sokka has trouble remembering. I think we talked, maybe talked about this on a past episode, had trouble remembering what his mother looks like. Mm-hmm. And he looks like his mother. Like he's like the spitting yeah. image of Kaya. It's so sad. Oh, man. It is. Okay. Anyways, Kaya is voiced by Gray Delisle Griffin, voice of Azula. <gasps> oh, my God. So I had no idea. Yeah. She's so talented. Oh, man. She is. I love Gray. She's so funny. I, I'm like still following her. I don't follow many people for a long time on TikTok, but she's mm-hmm. just permanently on there. She's so funny. Zuko tells Katara that her mother was a brave woman, but Katara already knows this and falls asleep on Appa. Zuko and Katara waste no time once they find the Southern Raiders warship. They immediately plunge into the ocean on Appa and pluck a single soldier telling the tale of a past mission during a meal from the boat and into the ocean. I love this. He's like, so then I told this guy. He's like, yeah. everyone stands on guard but katara is able to easily sweep most of the soldiers off the ship with a single wave she did miss one but she sweeps him off with a second attack zuko is able to lock the remaining guards below the deck in a room leaving their leader and kaya's potential murderer alone and still katara and zuko are such a good team she's barreling through with her water bending he's cleaning up after her popping forward to like you know incapacitate someone and let her keep going it's it's so fun to watch it really is also two quick notes about the southern raiders if you notice in the scene the raiders helmet design resembles a bird and it's different from the rest of the fire nation soldiers And also, their unit possessed special ships that were smaller and faster than the traditional Fire Nation destroyers. These warships were perfect for attacking coastal villages like the Southern Water Tribe, as their smaller size and improved maneuverability allowed the ships to pull up close to the shore and surprise the enemy, which is exactly what we saw in the flashbacks. Yeah, I I really love when we meet these like offshoots, for lack of a better term, from the Fire Nation. So like the Rough Mm -hmm. Rhinos, the Southern Raiders, like they're just it almost gives it like that real time war vibe where you have these like troops that are just different names. Right. And it it differentiates them and it almost humanizes them. And I think that's why we're so 
it was so easy for us to humanize the the rough rhinos and saying that they're just like the z list <laughs> like terrible yeah. soldiers that just formed a squad and it's just kind of funny to say that but like the southern raiders you can tell they like mean business and they're like mm-hmm. very dangerous and and like they gave us it was meant for comic relief but that just one guy who i'm pretty sure is d bradley baker because he's the only uh, male voice actor that has a additional voice lines credit Ooh. on this episode. Okay. So I feel like anyone who is voiced by like a man in this is voiced probably by him. But yeah, even give us a, and I told him, so obviously he had a big story to tell <laughs> and he was in the middle of it and he was just plucked really easily. They were caught off guard. And that mm-hmm. also illustrates how well Katara and Zuko know their respective elements and know how each other work in battle. Yeah. Oof. So very cool. The commander of the Southern Raiders is alone in a room. Katara blasts open the door and Zuko jumps in first, defending against the commander's fire attacks. Katara uses bloodbending. I'm going to pause and let you think about that for a moment. Uses <laughs> bloodbending to incapacitate the commander. And Zuko watches for a moment in horror, but then snaps out of it and turns his attention to the commander. Okay. I need to stop you right there. Yes. Two things. Yeah. Zuko's oh crap moment of realization when Katara bloodbends. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So good. He also recovered very quickly and moved on. Mm-hmm. Also, I felt this was very much the Batman grabs a gun trope when the hero does something that they're fundamentally against doing yeah. and have sworn that they will never, ever do. And then they end up doing it. Yep. It reminded me a lot of that concept of Batman is like, no, no guns, no killing. Until he's pushed to the point where he decides to do that very thing. Mm-hmm. Like in Batman Beyond, when he has a heart attack in the middle of stopping, uh, I think it was a heist or a robbery, and his only line of defense was the gun. Yep. And ashamed, he put down the gun and vowed never to wear the costume again. Mm-hmm. If you think that sounds interesting, you should just watch Batman Beyond because it's amazing. Anyways, back to Avatar The Last Airbender. I can't help it. You bait me with these DC things. I knew you would like that one. I did. I very much enjoyed it. Thank you. After looking into the man's eyes, however, Katara has a realization. This isn't the man who killed her mother. Zuko's confused because this man is the commander and leader of the Southern Raiders. But Katara knows that man's eyes all too well. So they press this quote unquote commander for more information. And he tells them that they must be looking for Yan-Ra, who was the leader of the Southern Raiders, but retired four years ago. I like that. I really like that. Do you think that this commander was promoted from within or do you think it's like a a Zhao situation where the Fire Lord just kind of likes them or maybe not the Fire Lord, but someone just really likes them. So they just plop them right there. Hmm. The way that he reacted, I think he was promoted from within. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Because he knew of Yanra. What about you? I could go either way, to be honest. I'd like to think that because the Southern Raiders have their own kind of name and their own flag and their own armor and their own emblem. I feel like they're very self-contained. So I feel like they don't like welcome in outsiders all that much. And if they do, it's like you're a rookie rank, no matter what you were in like outside from the bottom. Right. Exactly. Uh, That's just my own like headcanon for what the Southern Raiders are though. So I could be wrong, but that's, it it feels right. This is the first time that Katara has willingly used bloodbending as opposed to doing it out of necessity. Right. We've only seen her blood bend mm-hmm. twice. This is number two. And this is the last time that she blood bends in the animated series. Yeah. yeah. I like to think that after this adventure, she kind of comes back to herself and realizes, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. I crossed a line with myself and yeah. I will never go there again. Yeah, I agree. 
The scene shifts to elsewhere in the Fire Nation where Yan-Ra is working the soil of his garden. The sky is dark and gray with oncoming storm clouds. An elderly woman walks into the doorway from the house behind him and yells at him for being lazy. This woman is Yan-Ra's mother, and she continues to yell at her son that his tomato carrots from the garden are too hard on her gums. She's missing a lot of teeth, everyone. She's missing some teeth. That's, that's yeah. why. She's got a big old mole, too. <laughs> yep. uh, they like, I feel like they just designed her to be like this imposing force in his life that is so distinct and like hard to yeah. look at, kind of. This nasty shrew of a woman. Yeah. Well, she yells at him about the tomato carrots and tells him that she needs something soft and juicy from the market. So there are hybrid animals and hybrid foods. That's fun. I thought that was very interesting how they like haven't had hybrid fruits or vegetables yet. And they mm-hmm. have a hybrid fruit vegetable right now. And honestly, a tomato carrot sounds really tasty. Isn't that just that juice? I'm pretty sure. Well, I'm thinking of the flavor combination. I would like that. V8. I think this is V8. Oh, is just yes. V8 juice. Okay. Just, I'm pretty sure that is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not that I've had that in any time in the that I can remember right now, maybe as a kid, but that just came to mind. Yan Ra is voiced by Tim Dang, who has lent his voice to such animated series like Jackie Chan Adventures. There's another one for everyone keeping track at home. Oh my gosh. Batman Beyond. Speaking of Batman Beyond, there we Perfect. go. The Blues Brothers animated series. He was also in an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, and he's done a lot more than that. But that was just some of the highlights that I thought was really interesting. Awesome. I also really like that Yan Ra is a very like shriveled and tiny man at this point. Mm -hmm. He seemed quite large when we were looking at him through the flashbacks. Yeah. The angle of the quote unquote camera also helps because we saw him through the eyes of Katara, who was only eight years old, very small. Yeah. And her mother, who was kneeling on the ground. So both of them were looking up at him and he was in his armor and looking very imposing. And then funny enough, we then see him later as he's kneeling in his garden with his mother towering over him. Yep. So it's like this exchange of power. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's very interesting. Uh, Yan Ra goes to the market and he thinks he sees someone hiding. When he asks the merchant in front of him if he saw anything, the merchant just kind of shakes his head. Yan Ra takes his groceries and walks back to his home, but keeping his guard up and is aware that somebody is following him. He calls out again as he gets to a set of stone steps, but Katara and Zuko duck out of sight. The man continues to walk home. Katara recognizes this monster even from a distance immediately, and rage fills her gaze. I like that they use a cinematography technique here where the camera is peering over the side and then it pulls back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Replicating like the sight of a person. So you know someone's there, but you don't know who it is yet until the camera turns and shows you who's there. Yeah, it's really cool. I feel like this is the first time that they really played with that too, which is yeah, nice. It yeah, it is. I like that. Rain falls as the storm begins to take shape. Yan Ra takes a few more steps and then drops his groceries and sends a fire blast directly behind him, burning up a bush. Nobody sneaks up on Yan Ra, he yells. But when he sees that nobody is there, he calmly picks up his fruits and vegetables and turns around. After another step or two, he trips over a wire and falls to the ground. He tries to get up only to see a fire blast coming his way, which he is just narrowly able to avoid. When Yanra looks up, he sees Zuko standing before him. We weren't behind the bush, the prince tells the retired leader of the Southern Raiders. I can't believe they got him with a simple tripwire. I know, I know. Well, it was more than that. It was a lot of mental warfare that went into that, <laughs> getting him to trip. <laughs> they really okay, got him. They like it was paranoia they had to instill in them, and they had to like make a noise at the bush over there. They had to do quite a bit. Mm-hmm. 
which could be easily done with water bending if you think about it. She probably just moved the water in the bushes branches. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. And because it's rainy here, I do want to point out that this weather was a conscious decision on the part of the team because they wanted to replicate Katara's emotional state. So they added turbulent weather, moody lighting, and really just kind of built up the atmosphere for this encounter. I also kind of like that whenever we have a big tragic reveal from a character's past, there's a storm in the present time. Yeah. Which is a nice, nice continuity thing. We come back to Yanra and he is on the ground. He's actually on his butt just looking up at Zuko. And he's pathetically pleading for his life as Katara slowly approaches him. Do you know who I am? She asks the withered man laying down in front of her. No, I'm, I'm not sure, he says as he looks up upon an unmasked Katara. Oh, by the way, they're wearing cool ninja masks this entire time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just because Zuko loves Linkin Park so much and that's what you wear when you want to be a cool stealth He doesn't mode. have his blue spirit mask anymore. He's got to have something. It's just so funny that it's just that mask. And I say that <laughs> as a former Linkin Park kid, edgy, edgelord oh, kid. Oh, I know. That, like, when oh, I was I like, know. a mask, I was like, yeah, get that like cool Kakashi mask. That's what I want. <laughs> oh, you better remember, like your life depends on it. Why don't you take a closer look? Katara says as she gives Yanra another moment. Yanra finally realizes who Katara is, and we see the events of that day, the invasion, through his point of view. We learn that through his flashback, Yanra was looking for the last waterbender in the Southern Water Tribe. Kaya denies that there is one at all because the Fire Nation just took every last waterbender. But Yanra isn't buying this and tells Kaya that they're not leaving until they find them. Kaya asks that if she divulges the whereabouts of the waterbender, do they promise to leave? Yan-Ra nods. Kaya tells the commander that she is the waterbender and she will go as his prisoners. An evil smile creeps onto Yan-Ra's face and he tells Kaya that he's not taking prisoners today. Oh boy. Yeah. Back in the present, Yan-Ra gulps in terror as he realizes what is about to happen. Katara tells the man that he was lied to and that Kaya wasn't the last waterbender of the Southern Water Tribe. Katara is. The vengeful daughter water bends the raindrops to stop in midair and then expands the rain to turn into a giant dome over the three of them. After a few moments, she sends a forceful stream of water at Yanra, transforming the stream into a flurry of ice daggers midway through her attack. Yanra crouches in fear, preparing to be hit. When he does not feel harmed and realizes he's still alive, he looks up to see ice daggers floating directly in front of his face. Katara's expression softens and she allows for the daggers to liquefy and drop to the ground. Except two of them that are off on the right-hand side of the screen. I don't know if you caught that. It kind of bothered me. No. Everything melts (laughs) except for these two that are already on the ground. I'm like, why keep them frozen? Oh my God. I was too caught up in the moment because this is perhaps literally the best moment in the whole series. It's really In my opinion. It's, I mean, it's it's fine. So powerful. It's very, it is very powerful. It's fine. Shut up. <laughs> no, it, it's very powerful. It's really well done. But that was, I think that was just my ADHD kicking in, where it's just like the moment was kind of over and I like immediately was drawn to the only thing frozen <laughs> in the screen. Like, uh-huh. What? Why? I think it's just an animation oversight, but still, yeah. Like she's realized the course of action that she needs to take and she has mm-hmm. to take and she doesn't like it, but she has to do it this way. Yeah. Do you think if Yanra wasn't pathetic, mm-hmm. wasn't sniveling and pleading for his life. If he actually fought back, do you think she would have killed him? 
I don't think she would kill him either way. I don't yeah. think I don't think there's a scenario where Katara would kill someone in anger like this. Yeah. I tend to agree. I think it would be harder for her to get to that outcome if he was attacking back. But I think through the course of their fighting, she would come to the same conclusion that this isn't worth it. I think even if she fights him, we get to a point where he's on the ground and she's over him and she has the time to make that yeah. decision. Yep, exactly. So, Yanra's on the ground and he's almost a little relieved, but still kind of scared at this point. Mm-hmm. I did a bad thing. I know I did. And you deserve revenge. So why don't you take my mother? That would be fair. Okay, hang on. <laughs> he, he thought he was going to get so lucky and have someone off his mother for him. That part always makes me laugh. Just take my mom. That's fair, right? Just I'll be so it. torn up. I'll be so heartbroken. Just take it. her. Just take her. It's fine. I love it. Uh, seeing <laughs> Yanra bargain for his life, Katara realizes that there is nothing inside of him. He's just a sad, pathetic, and empty shell of a person. Yanra pleads for his life again, and Katara reveals that she can't bring herself to kill him. Zuko stands silently at Katara's side as she leaves the broken and wet man crying on the ground. Zuko watches the man for a moment and then follows Katara. Oh. I have a couple thoughts. A couple, couple little yep. thoughts here. Mm-hmm. When I was watching this, I thought for sure that Zuko was going to do something. He was still lingered oh, when he turns back. just long yeah. enough. And I was like, is he going to kill? Is that how he like proves his he's trustworthy is by doing what Katara wouldn't, which is actually the wrong thing to do when he shouldn't. That would actually make her distrust him more, I would think. Mm-hmm. Also, Here's a question for you. Do you think if Katara never went into their home when Yanra was standing over Kaya and revealed that Kaya is a mother and him having not a healthy or good relationship with his own mother, do you think he would have killed Kaya? Do you think killing Kaya was him kind of killing his mother, but he can't bring himself to actually kill his mother? This is getting deep and dark for, for this, but that was why show us other than it's kind of ironic and kind of almost karma. I want to say karmatic. That's not the word, but it was like <laughs> karmatic. karmatic. It was karma that he killed a mother and his own is terrible and that he is just like stuck under her thumb, even in his old age. But I think yeah. there's something more to it than that. At least if you kind of like read between the lines, right? Mm-hmm. That is very interesting because I've actually seen some comments about this online. The fact that him killing Kaya versus capturing her like they did all the other waterbenders was yeah, out of character. It was. And it's debated if that was actually his orders or not, or if he just kind of took liberties and was like, you know what, I'm just going to kill her and just say it was an accident or whatever. Right. If that's the case, if his orders were to capture, not kill, but he decided to kill, I could very much see that being an outcome of Katara showing up, Kaya being identified as a mother in his eyes and him having this like, twisted need to assert dominance over a mother because of his own mother, because Mm -hmm. that's what she did to him his whole life. Yeah. I could very much see that. Because Kaya didn't like really give up a lot of fight. She didn't hurt him. She didn't like provoke him really. She just lied and that was it. Yep. And the deceit didn't last very long. So that would also kind of indicate that like there's something else. And he's he's a broken man. Like mm-hmm. he's probably a bit of a psychopath, I would think. At the time, I think he was very much drunk on power that and too, yeah. poisoned and corrupted by power. Because when you think about the Southern Raiders being, like you said before, a group kind of unto themselves. Their primary objectives were to raid the Southern Water Tribe to find waterbenders. And they were also cited as attacking the Earth Kingdom, too. That was pretty much their whole role. Yeah. So I could see that being kind of like clout 
for the people who are in the Southern Raiders. Like, ooh, we're so good. We're in the Southern Raiders. We're like off doing our own important mission versus like the rest of the Fire Nation Navy patrolling and doing all the normal Navy things. Yeah. Again, giving a troop a name, it's like giving a person a name. Like you immediately like connect with them. Mm -hmm. I'm already having headcanons of the Southern Raiders aren't all that bad of a troop. Like they don't seem besides, you know, kidnapping everyone from their family and doing all that. But like the people in the troop from what we've seen aren't like terrible. Like they seem like they're very close. They're very tight knit. They were easily scared and manipulated into giving the whereabouts of Yanra, which kind of tells me that maybe they didn't like Yanra all that much. (laughs) I wonder. Yep. That could be another dynamic too. Because a lot of the, let's say like, secondary villains that we've seen from the Fire Nation, like the Warden or Zhao, have been willing to die for the cause. Like they get like Mm -hmm. so up there. And this commander of the Southern Raiders is like, he gets bloodbend, which is terrifying. Don't get me wrong. But the third time he's asked, he's like, oh yeah, by the way, you want Yanra. He lives at 123 Main Street over in... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. and his his mom is not great and he has a messenger hawk now just kidding he probably doesn't have a messenger hawk but like he gave up all the information they needed so he's probably like it's yeah. not worth it so i don't know actually that also goes to show that yanra isn't very well respected no he doesn't have <laughs> people in his corner trying right. to, to help him out and keep him safe he right. was just like oh you want to find yanra let me write down the address for you by the way did i tell you that he lives with his mom right yeah <laughs> i bet you yanra says no, she lives with me. I feel like that's a Jan Ra thing. Uh, he would. By the way, there's nothing wrong with living with your mother. I sometimes wish I still live with my mom sometimes. I went home this past weekend and she gave me a, a full loaf of banana bread and I've been eating it and it's so Aww. good. Anyways, okay, let's go back to the story here because we literally have one paragraph left. <laughs> let's do it. So let's go. We go back, right? Katara has decided to spare Jan Ra and she's sitting on a dock, kicking her feet in the ocean at sunset. On Ember Island, by the way. I didn't realize that was Ember Island. That's really cool. Yeah. If you look in the background, the Royal Beach House is up on the hill. Oh, I missed that. That's really cool. So it seems like Zuko went back and got Aang, Mm -hmm. who rushes up to Katara as soon as Appa lands. Aang asks if she's okay. And Katara tells him that she is fine. Aang lets her know that Zuko brought him up to speed on what she did, or rather didn't do, and he's proud of her decision to forgive the man who killed her mother. Katara tells Aang that she didn't forgive Yanra, and she never will, but she is willing to forgive Zuko. She walks up to the prince and gives him a hug. You were right about what Katara needed. Violence wasn't the answer, Zuko admits to Aang. It never is, Aang tells Zuko. Then I have a question for you. What are you going to do when you face my father? Zuko asks as he turns to Aang. But Aang has no answer. (gasps) Foreshadowing. And you know why he doesn't have any answer? Because in the end, it doesn't even matter. There's another Lincoln Park. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) That actually is my favorite Lincoln Park song. (laughs) Oh, classic. It's such a good one. This is actually the first and only time in the series where we see Kaya's face and hear her voice. By the way, I didn't know where to put this note. So I'm going to pop it right here. Yeah. In the swamp, only her back is depicted. Yeah. It's so cool to see her face because she looks so much like her kids. You already talked about how Sokka is a spitting image of her. Yeah. But when you look at her face, you can see both Katara and Sokka's features. Yeah. It's so cool. It really is. Well, that's the end of the episode. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. So good. Mm-hmm. A final note on my end. Yes. We see here at the end that Katara accepts both Aang's and Zuko's points. 
she decides not to allow revenge to consume her and to not kill Yanra because she knows that it won't bring her mother back. Yeah. And at the same time, she also doesn't forgive Yanra. It makes it clear that she will never forgive him because he still murdered her mother. So I kind of like how she she winds up in this place at the end, having seemingly taken both of her friends' advice. Yeah. And then also, if we look back to the beginning of the episode when Azula shows up, Katara throughout this episode keeps referencing the Crossroads of Destiny, which is where Zuko betrayed her, went off with Azula, and helps her overthrow Ba Sing Se. Fittingly, in this episode, Azula declares that she wants to murder Zuko. And Zuko works to earn back Katara's trust. So I kind of like how it's a mirror flip-flop yeah. of our story points. Yeah, that's a nice little touch of writing right there. I, I enjoyed it as well. Okay, well, Acorn, who is your MVP for the episode? I already know what you're going to say. Oh, boy. Well... Don't leave us in suspense like you're not just going to say Katara. <laughs> I was going to say Zuko, actually. All right, well, fine. Then you're not going to say Katara. Because... <laughs> If we, again, look at the MVP as the most valuable person in the story, the person who drives the plot forward, who makes the biggest difference, I actually think it's Zuko because he is there to help support Katara on this journey. We've kind of established that Katara is just kind of a a blind rage beast throughout most of this episode. She's not really doing MVP type things. So I think Zuko earns it. I'm going to give it to Sokka for being the only beam of light in this episode. Oh, just this <laughs> shiny He's the beam comic relief of hilarity, of joy, of like, like he really stepped it up in this episode. And Jack just like shined through. Like it was re- like his voice acting is just like chef's kiss on this episode. He, like it, everything he does is perfect in Avatar as far as I'm concerned on every episode. But this particular one really, I think, illustrated his talents in comedic timing and delivery. So Absolutely. I really enjoyed it. So Sokka for me. I do want to say something a little controversial, though. I okay. did enjoy Yanra. I'm not going to give him MVP, but I enjoyed him because he's such a miserable old man and he lives this miserable life and it's totally earned. But like, I love him in the way that I, I don't love him. I like him in the way that I love Zhao, but I don't love Yanra. It's like that same kind of like yeah. vibe where exactly i don't know it's just kind of but like yeah so i like what they did with his character because they made him this terrible awful human being but then they painted him as a victim later on by showing how he's kind to his mother he's a victim of his mother he's pitiful and weak and shriveled and old and so it makes you kind of feel for him but at the same time the whole story is about what do you do when you get into the position of taking your revenge yeah and i would even argue that that's not the same Mian Ra that killed her mother. Like it, it is no, technically, right? But not from like a storytelling, not from a... From a life standpoint. Right, exactly. So yeah, if she took his life, it still wouldn't have been as satisfying as if she like time traveled and like found him there and like saved her mom or whatever, right? So it still mm-hmm. wouldn't have given that satisfaction. And I think that's a really good theme throughout all of fiction where it's like you can get your revenge, but it's not going to bring the person back. It's not going to help you at all. It's You're not going to feel you empty. any better. Yeah. Might make I mean, you feel worse. We're going to hop out of Avatar and make another reference here oh. with um, Ben from the new Star Wars movies. That's right. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So moving on. Moral of the episode. I feel like it's the clearest moral that it could possibly be. It's almost like Aesop level where it's like violence is not the answer. Yeah. Revenge will not bring healing. Yeah. The paint is on the wall. It's very, very obvious. So I would say take your pick. Yeah. <laughs> whichever, yeah, yeah. whichever saying yeah, that's you prefer. Fair. That's fair. 
I agree with that 110%. But I think there's like a hidden moral in here. And it's that. Ooh, let's hear it. Sometimes if you have option A and option B, there might just be an option C waiting somewhere else. Ah, okay. So even if you think your options are to retake bossing, say, or revive someone from the dead, chances are there's an option C that'll let you not do either of those things and still save the day. Yes. Exactly. Ah, okay. Exactly. That's exactly it. <laughs> like it. Yeah. All right. Well, that is the episode. That's it. I think this one might be a little bit longer too. We had so much to talk about. There are so many cool little like bits of information, little like fan theories to kind of dive into, head cannons, yeah. all the good stuff. It was actually refreshing after Boiling Rock because I feel like Boiling Rock was very plot driven. There wasn't yes. very much to talk about. Yeah. Um. So this was really fun. And it's one of my favorite episodes. And it's the seriousness before the comedic masterpiece. That will be the next episode. Can't wait. I was watching it a little bit before our recording and I was dying laughing. I cannot wait till we cover it next week. Mm -hmm. But until next week, if you have any fan theories or just want to say, hey, Greg and Acorn, we like what you're doing over there. You can email us over at avatarthepodcast at gmail.com. You can always leave a five-star written review over on Apple Podcasts. You can tweet at us at Podcast Avatar. You can uh, subscribe to our YouTube page over at youtube.com slash Avatar the Podcast. We haven't given that one a shout out in a little bit. That is where, if you don't see the live Avatar episodes, that is where they're posted after the fact. So if you missed it and want to watch it, we have up the first four currently. The fifth one we'll get up in a day or two. We'll get it. We'll get it there. But they're a lot of fun. And if you want to watch an Avatar, you can always go over to my channel over at twitch.tv slash boostergreg. That is, I'm live actually every Monday and Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But Avatar is 7 p.m. on the last Friday of every month, except for December. We're not going to be live because that's New Year's Eve. <laughs> I feel like no one would be particularly looking forward to it anyways. And, you know, we got friends and family and stuff and, and all that. So we're going to take a month off, but we will be back in January. Just so everyone knows for that. You've been warned ahead of time, but you should all just come to Avatar in October and November because there's so much fun and we love having you. And we get to really dive into things that we can't do on the show. And we get to see what other people think in live time. And I like that. Yeah. So it's a good time. Yeah. Yeah. And what about you, Acorn? Where can people find you? You can find me online at Acorn Bandit or Joyson Studio, where you can find our enamel pins, including the two pins for this show, our lovely fluffy boy Appa, mm. and our favorite blind bandit. Mm -hmm. You can find those on Joyson's.com, which is J O I S A N S.com, or on Etsy if you search for Joyson Studio. Coming up next time Avatar, the historically inaccurate play. And. Avatar State. Yip, yip. All this and more next time on Avatar, Avatar the, the Podcast. Podcast. Avatar the Podcast is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com. 